0: You know, over the past few weeks, we've been going through our core values, and we kicked off this series with Pastor Barry sharing how Scripture is our starting point. And then last week, Pastor Evan talked about relationships are our priority. And today I'm going to continue in that series by talking about generosity is our lifestyle. But we're not going to talk about generosity in the way that perhaps you've heard it talked about before or maybe what you would initially think when you hear the word generosity in church so we're going to explore what does this mean from a biblical perspective and how has god called us to do this and i was thinking about how i wanted to open up the sermon today and i began to think about this question if i were to take a survey and just kind of poll the congregation and ask you the question of what's most important to you and what would you be willing to give everything for i mean like anything Who would you be willing to give anything for? Who would you be willing to give everything for? I think a lot of us would probably have similar answers. A lot of us would probably say, well, I would be willing to give everything for or to die for my God. You know, I'd be able to, you know, die for Jesus and, you know, he died for me. And so I think we would see a lot of that in our responses. And I also think much in the same way that we would respond, I'll give everything for Jesus. I think that we would also respond... Family. I think we would see a lot of people say, oh, I'd be willing to give everything for my family because all of us understand that there are things in life that are extremely valuable that it's worth us giving everything for. And if we were faced with the question, what would you give everything for? I think those two would probably be at the top of our list. And as we heard Pastor Evan teach on this idea of relationships being our priority, he alluded to and shared with this very similar idea that I'm going to share today that I know that you've heard before, and I know that you know it in your head, and I know that you believe it, and we've heard this idea about church being family and about how we are God's family, and together we are the body of Christ, the family of God, and we know that. It's like we've got this in our head If I was to say, you know, the church is family, amen, amen, everybody just agrees with that and believes that, and we know that in our society, we know that in the context of our church, but oftentimes, as we look at the priority of our life, church, we understand is family, but also it's become just simply a place that we go, because in our mentality that we have, it just makes it a little easier to compartmentalize it makes it easier to say, oh, I did church today. It made it easier to say, oh, I went to church today, and I kind of check off that proverbial box, and I know that I did that thing that I was supposed to do, or I attended that church event, or I attended that Bible study, or that connection group, or whatever the case may be. And we look at church as somewhere we go because it's easier for us to schedule. It's easier for us to arrange our lives that way when we think about it as somewhere that we go. It's much more difficult and quite frankly, much more costly when we think about church as who we are because that begins to change the priority of our lives. It begins to change how we order our lives and what we say yes to and what we say no to. It determines what are those kind of pillars, what are those um, big rocks that we build our lives around. I remember when I first uh, became the pastor at the church in Wisconsin, I was 29 years old, And there was a secretary there who did the books, and her name was Nancy, sweetest lady. I loved working with Nancy. And she had been working there in that capacity, doing the books of the church for about 17 years, I think. So she had been doing this for a really long time, and she was really, really good at it. And she wanted to have a regularly scheduled meeting with me. And she wanted me to meet with her once a month at 2.30 on the third Tuesday of the month. As a 29-year-old who was new to this church, you would have thought that would have been an important meeting for me to make, but I didn't make that meeting a lot, and I would forget about it because it was an odd week and an odd day and an odd time, and I was still learning some things in life about how to properly prioritize and work my schedule. And I missed the first couple of meetings, and I would go, and I would say, oh, Nancy, I'm so sorry, so sorry I, I missed... The meeting, oh, I feel so bad. I feel so terrible. And I really would. I would genuinely feel bad. I would genuinely feel terrible about missing the meetings with Nancy. And she would always say, okay, okay, you know, I, I forgive you, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. And then the next month would come around, and I would schedule something over that. And and I would I would have, you know, people coming in that were supposed to meet with me. And Nancy's like, well, Pastor, what about our meeting? Oh, it's the third Tuesday. At t- oh, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I forgot again or i would i would double book and i would constantly do this and here's the challenging part about my relationship with nancy is that her husband was one of our board members so he calls me one day after i had missed about four months worth of meetings with nancy or just had to reschedule or you know i double booked and he said listen i'm calling you as a board member And I want to let you know that you missing these meetings with Nancy is not okay. He said, and it's my wife, so I see how it's affecting her, and it's not okay. And as this 29-year-old guy, you know, still new to this church and still new to, this was the first time I'd ever even had staff before because all the previous churches, I was the only staff person when I was the pastor. They were smaller. And so, oh, and I did the same thing to him that I had been doing to her I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, I, I and then I said this, and I'll never forget this because I'll never forget how I felt. I said to Mike, who was Nancy's husband. I said to Mike, I said, uh, I said Mike, I said, I, I, I said I don't want your wife to feel like she's not valued or important. I said so. I, I apologize. He said, that's exactly how you're making her feel. And when he said that, he didn't let me off the hook right then. I wanted to get let off the hook right. I wanted him to tell me it's okay, don't worry about it. He said, that's exactly how you're making her feel. Ooh, boom, just punched me right in the gut right there. And I was like, ooh. And it was like that good kind of hurt that I needed that helped me grow because I remember that moment. It was a defining moment in the way that I understood how my decisions affected people. Because at that moment, that's when I finally realized that I was doing something that I didn't mean to do that I didn't mean to make Nancy feel like she wasn't important or she wasn't valued or what she had to say wasn't important or valuable. I would never, no one would ever even describe me as that type of person, but my behaviors were saying something very different. So I kind of had a a, a wake-up meeting uh, on that phone call with Mike, and he said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I guess I'm just going to have to make sure that this meeting is a non-negotiable and I'm going to have to build my schedule around my meeting with Nancy instead of treating Nancy's meeting as something that's fluid. I'm going to have to like, and I never missed another meeting with Nancy in all the years we worked together <laughs> because my mentality changed. And that happens with us so often when, we, when we'll double book or when we'll, when we'll miss something or we'll treat something as not important. It's really because at our core, we can say all day, we value you or we value this or this is important to us. But what we really value, we're going to build around. That's going to be like that anchoring piece. That's going to be that non-negotiable. And I had to start treating my meeting with Nancy as a non-negotiable. This is going to happen, and nothing gets in the way of my meeting with Nancy because Nancy is important and she's valuable, and I need her to know that I see our time together as valuable and as important because she's valuable and important. And I learned that lesson the hard way. And it took me a lot of apologizing and a lot of, you know, I'm sorry, to finally get to the point where someone was honest enough with me, where they really spoke to the real issue. It was a value issue. And so during this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to help the things that we say are important to us, the things we've been amening for years. We want them to match up with what we do. This was an exercise that we went through as a staff, the very first exercise, as a matter of fact, that I led our staff through when I got here in April of this year. I said, team, I said, we need to start working on carving out our identity and who we are. I said, we're gonna start with our core values. And so in April, we began working on this by answering these two questions. I told our leadership team, I said, the two questions I want us to begin to answer are what are we known for and what do we wanna be known for? That's where we discern these five values that we're teaching is the answer to those questions. Because some of these things we can look at and go, yeah, that's, that's BCC, that's our church family, that's, that's who we are. And some of the things we go, ah, we're, we're still growing, we're still you know trying to grow into that. And that's good, it doesn't mean we're failing. It doesn't mean that we're bad or wrong or something is, is not right. It just means that what we're doing is that we're trying to identify who is God calling us to be and we need to make that very clear so we can say what is important And more importantly than say what's important, we can live out what's most important. Amen? So if we say we start with Scripture, let's actually start with Scripture and make that a non-negotiable, not something that, oh, we didn't start with Scripture and we have to apologize later. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry, God. Because true repentance is not telling God you're sorry. True repentance is letting go of the former behavior and embracing a new behavior, That's what I did with Nancy. And as we look at our core values, we're wanting to say, God, these are the things that we want to be known for. These are the things that we are known for. These are the things that we believe you have called us to. And and I know there's a lot of other things we could attach outside of these five values, but at our core, these are the things that are gonna help us unite as a church and move forward. And we don't want these things just to be things we say. We want these to be things that are felt, things that are internalized, Things that we not only amen and then walk out of the door, but things that we actually say, no, I'm going to make that a priority. Because we say that church is family, and we amen that, but is it just a place that we go, or is it who we are? Our core value last week that Pastor Evan taught was relationships are our priority. And we say that, we say that, we say that. But are we just saying it and then go, oh, Lord, I, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. Oh, I'm sorry, God, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, just not convenient. It's not the right season of life for me. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And we make all of these excuses and we're doing the same thing I did with Nancy when God is saying, what are you gonna do about it? When are we going to transition from the things that we know becoming the things that we actually do? Because I think that uh, we're all pretty much the same in the fact that we know a lot more than we do, Right? some people that are some of the most unhealthiest know all of the information about nutritional facts, exercise, diet, all of that stuff, because they've tried 100 times, right? We know a lot of information. We know a lot of truth. We amen a lot of truth. It's, it's up here, but it's got to transition into our heart to become a conviction that we live out that is a non-negotiable, something we build our lives around rather than something that we do when it's convenient. That's the difference between having this as a core value and just another saying. Okay, that's a neat saying. That's a neat way to put that. No, no, no. Relationships are a priority. We start with Scripture, where Scripture is our starting point. Generosity is our lifestyle. Let's go over to Luke chapter 9, and let's look at this in Scripture. I taught on this text a few weeks back, so this will be familiar to you. But Luke chapter 9, skip all the way down to verse 57. That's where we're going to start. Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. As they, the disciples, were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus... I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So here, we see Jesus interacting with three different people who want to be on board, who verbalize that they're on board, but they have conditions that have to be met first. They have excuses. They have reasons. And some of them, I mean, sound to you and I legitimate, right? At first, we see someone like really excited about following Jesus, and and he makes this big proclamation in front of all these other people, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, we're not staying at a five-star resort after we're done doing ministry today. Actually, I don't know where we're staying, because foxes even have holes and birds of the air have a nest, but I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. You want to sign up? It's like, Jesus, you're a terrible volunteer recruiter, like... This is not how you, 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 you get volunteers, Jesus. This guy is an excited volunteer, and Jesus says, I'm homeless. That's what you lead off with, really? <laughs> because he wants this man to know this is not easy. This is going to be inconvenient. I'm sure sometimes they slept in beds, and sometimes they slept out in fields and under trees, and he said, this is not convenient, this is not easy. Don't sign up because of all of the fringe perks that we get as being a part of Jesus' group because I don't know where we're sleeping. And then another person later on says, Lord, I'll, uh, Jesus goes to them, he says, hey, you come follow me. So Jesus chooses this person. Could you imagine being chosen by Jesus where Jesus himself says, come follow me? What an incredible honor. And instead of him just going, okay, He instead says, well, I got some stuff to do. Let me go, you know, bury my folks because they passed away. And Jesus says something really interesting that we would receive as harsh. He says, let the dead go bury the dead. Ooh, that doesn't sound very friendly. Again, bad recruitment technique. Um, But Jesus, uh, in that culture, you have to understand Jesus wasn't being mean. uh, When they would mourn over the loss of their parents or loved ones, um, sometimes that mourning could last for months. And he was saying, hey, I'm in this period of grief. I'm in this time of mourning. And Jesus is saying, really, you want me to just wait on you? He's like, yeah, just like text me where you guys are at. Like when I'm done mourning. Because right now I'm still like in that grief period. I'll hop on my camel, put it in the GPS, and I'll find you know, where you guys are at, and we'll reconnect later. And uh, then to another person you know, who's all excited about following Jesus, he says, okay, I'll follow you, but let me go ahead and let you know my conditions, right? <laughs> um, let me go say bye to my folks real quick, you know, let me go do all that, and he says, if, if you put your hand to the plow and you turn away, you're not worthy of the kingdom. What's Jesus saying here? He's talking about value. That's what he's speaking about. He's saying what really matters most, what's truly valuable to you, because what, it, it, if Jesus is really valuable to us, like we'll all amen and say, yes, Lord, and all hallelujah, yes, Jesus, you're valuable, you're important, we love you, all that stuff. We make all these big promises, all these big commitments. Jesus sees through all of that. He's not impressed by our words. He knows where our hearts are. He knows our weaknesses, our struggles, our failures, and he's still welcoming us with open arms. He wants us to get on board. He wants us to follow him, but he wants us to see him as valuable, Because whatever you see as valuable in your life, you will make all sorts of accommodations for. Just to use a local example of uh, the American Picker Show, right? These guys will travel all over the United States, find rusted metal, and get really excited about it. (laughs) Oh, there's a a lid to a 1913 oil can that you can barely make out the reading on the top. This thing's worth $5,000. To who? Who is going to pay that for a rusted oil can lid? Like, what? I watch that stuff, and if I were to stumble across some of that stuff that they would call a treasure, I would have thrown it in the garbage and felt like I had done someone a favor. And they would have just freaked out, oh no, this is so valuable. It's so important. How do we ascribe value? How do we know what's important? Because as we look and we see the different things, different people will call different things important because one man's trash is another man's treasure. I can probably go in your home and I can assess really quickly just by looking at the placement of certain items in your home what's important to you. Because there's going to be something that perhaps you have in your home that's behind maybe a, a glass case, like maybe a nice curio cabinet or a china cabinet or something, and there's some uh, family heirloom or something special that has been handed down for a few generations that's there, and it's in a prominent place, and you're not going to take it out and play with, you know, around with it as a Frisbee, because it's valuable, it's important Oh no, this is special, this is, this is precious, and that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to those who are just so ready to follow him. They're ready to honor him with their lips. They're ready to say, yes, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to go. And Jesus is saying, how valuable do you think I am? Am I more valuable than the conveniences of you following me when you're ready? Am I more valuable than your family? Am I more valuable than your comfort and your security of having a nice warm bed to sleep in every night? Am I more valuable than that? And he's calling them out on their misappropriated values, their poor prioritization. And he's trying to say, I'm worth more than all of this. I just need you to see that because to, to follow Jesus, there is a cost. Amen, church? There's a different value system that you must learn in order to live a sold-out life. Where you truly see the value of following Jesus. Because truly following Jesus is inconvenient when you're living in a self-focused culture. And we are very self-focused in our culture. It's all about our comfort. It's all about ease. It's all about us looking for the easy button, the automated way to do it, the most convenient way to do it, the best system for it, to where everything can just work smoothly in our lives and we can just live easy lives. And we're always on the hunt for easier because easier sells because people want easier. People want convenient, convenient sales. That's why people are looking for more convenient ways just to feel better, to to feel like they're looking better, to be more confident, to have more financial security because they feel like that brings them peace and all these other things that they're chasing after in order to acquire all these things they find value in. And here we see that the cost of following Jesus is actually inconvenient if I'm living my life seeking after all those things. The cost of following Jesus is that we actually die to ourselves and we follow Him. And I believe God is calling us, His church, BCC, to wake up and to remember this truth that church is not somewhere we go, it's who we are. We are forever family. Amen? We are forever family. One of the hard truths about that statement is that if you are a born-again child of God who has put your faith and trust in Christ alone as the hope for your salvation, for the hope of not only your now but for your forever, and you have trusted in his sacrifice as sufficient to have satisfied the righteous requirement for you and I to be forgiven and made right in the eyes of God. If what Jesus has done on the cross truly is enough and you believe that and you trust that by faith, And you have been made born again. You've been made new. You've been made alive. And now you are in right standing or you are righteous in the eyes of God through what Christ has done. If you are that person, listen, you are forever family. So look to the person to your left. Look to the person at your right. You're going to see them for a minute. Because that is your forever family. That even means that Uncle Eddie from Christmas Vacation who comes and visits, if he's a believer in Christ... (laughs) Eddie, are you an uncle? Yeah. You are? Okay, so everybody's got an Uncle Eddie in their family, right? You're not that, it, one. Not, you're not that one? Okay. I was just going to say, it might be you, so don't laugh too much. <laughs> but all of the different characters here in this room, all the different people, all our different personalities, backgrounds, if we are trusting Christ, we're forever family. And the hard part about that is that we may have natural family members who don't know Jesus. And our prayer and our hope and our desire... And our heart is that they would come to faith in Christ, right? That's what we want for those unsaved loved ones and friends. But even our natural blood relatives, if they don't have faith and trust in Christ alone, they're not a part of that forever family. That's hard. I, I don't like that. That's why we need to do the work of an evangelist. That's why we need to share the hope that we have in Jesus. That's why we need to Make sure that we're speaking the truth and love and that we're praying and that we're doing the things we need to do as Christ's followers. But at the same time, those who put their faith in Christ, whether I'm related to them or not, naturally, we're forever family. We need to remember that. We've been using Acts chapter 2 every time uh, we've taught in this series as kind of our anchoring text here. So let's go back to that. In Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 42. Remember, this is after Peter, the disciple of Jesus, just preached this incredible sermon. And thousands of people get saved that day. And so this is what happened after the church added about 3,000 people um, that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then day by day, they were attending the temple together. They were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we, we see here this, this response ...to the gospel and what Christ has done. These new Christians are beginning to love one another in such a way that they're devoting themselves to scripture. They're devoting themselves to prioritizing relationships. And they're prioritizing their care and love for one another. Because now they're living generously. And they're living open-handedly. Because everything that they're doing, they're looking at one another as forever family... And because they're viewing one another as forever family, they're not holding things with a tight fist. Matter of fact, they were willing to sell their possessions and distribute those things to everyone who had need because it wasn't about me accumulating and acquiring and me and my little group. No, it was about the family. And the family loved one another and cared for one another so well. And that's our big idea today. So write this one down. Generosity is our lifestyle. That's also our core value. The church in Acts prioritized a lifestyle of meeting the needs of the church family. So that meant that what the church needed, they prioritized above their own needs. That's what they were doing. They were saying that I want to live intentionally, sacrificially, and I'm going to put others' needs above my own. They intentionally, on purpose, inconvenienced themselves, and the world took notice. The world watched and saw and was attracted to that type of love and care. And the church began to grow. The Lord was adding to their number day by day people who were being saved. Because more and more people were coming in because these people were loving each other so well. These people were caring for one another so well. The church grew like crazy. And we have to get this idea in our heart that generous living is bigger than writing a check. Oh, let me say that slow so I can say that some more. Generous living is bigger than writing a check. That is the easy way out sometimes because it's easier to write a check and and, and ease my conscience. You know, just write a check, just hire someone, just let someone else volunteer, let someone else do it. I've served my time. Uh, It's someone else's problem. It's someone else's responsibility. But listen, if we're part of the family of God, then we all should be caring for one another, Amen? amen? And this is what a family does. A family sacrifices by intentionally inconveniencing themselves for the benefit of another to impact eternity, to influence the next generation. That's what we do. That's what a family does. I know that you've probably done this if if you're a parent or a grandparent. Have you ever been out to a restaurant and you ordered enough of something for yourself and you were excited to be able to enjoy that something that you ordered for yourself and you ordered the exact amount of that something that you wanted and then the little voice pipes up and says, can I have a bite of that or can I have one of those? hmm <laughs> And a loving parent, my wife, will say... <laughs> Yes, Derek, you can have that. (laughs) Because that's what we do when we love someone. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to go without, even though maybe that person did all of that, you know, prepared that for themselves to enjoy. They're willing to give to another another and they're willing to intentionally inconvenience themselves. That's what you do with your family. We don't think that odd when you would do that for your children, your grandchildren, maybe even a close friend. or You, know, you don't find that odd for you to do that, to inconvenience yourself, um, to, to get up and to go you know, care and serve for someone that you know, is a part of your family. And the same should be true of the way that we live our lives generously, the way that we hold with an open hand the resources God has trusted us to steward of our time, our talent, and our treasure. That we live with an open hand, able to serve the body as there are needs, where there are needs among the family. We're aware of those needs, and we care about one another in such a way, just like in the book of Acts. And it's not something that we do that we compartmentalize and check off. It's something that we do all the time because church is not somewhere we go. It's who we are. It's us being a part of the family of God. It's us doing it on purpose to impact eternity and also to influence the next generation because church, we want to leave behind a stronger foundation and legacy of living out the gospel and living for Jesus than what was handed to us, amen? Like three people want to hand a stronger foundation to the next I said we want to leave a stronger foundation for the next generation, Amen? amen because we understand that eternity is bigger than you and i and that's not even saying that the previous generation failed us it's, that's not at all what i'm implying they did a great job handing us a strong foundation but we want to hand the next generation an even stronger foundation than what we were handed not because others failed but because we're building on and we want that generation to hand off to the, the, the next generation an even stronger foundation but that doesn't just happen because we want it it doesn't just happen because we want it. No more than me you know, uh, being out of debt happens because I want it or losing weight happens because I want it. I have to do something intentional. I have to change. I have to change my, my core value. And it has to be more than me just saying something because I can keep saying something, feeling bad about it and going, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord. And God's looking for us to just change our priority, change our value system, change are saying into rather what we're doing so that our faith is being lived out by our works and what we do and that we're saying yes to greater things and so i don't want you to feel bad that's not my intent is to make you feel bad here's what i want you to do i want you to see the needs around you i don't want you to just feel bad because if you just feel bad you might just say i'm sorry over and over again and not change You might just have a moment where you, oh, I'm so sorry, God, I'm going to do better, make all these commitments. No, no, no. I I would rather you just start seeing the needs around you and, and be willing to say yes to greater things. Now, our church family has some needs right now that are a big deal. And as I was thinking and praying about what to share with you today, I chose three things at the end of this message to share with you. And here's what I want you to do with those things. This is not a guilt trip this is not something to try to make you feel bad or to obligate you in some moment to do something this is something for you to pray about and consider because you need to know as part of the family what our family needs are and how your what is your role to help us to do this because these needs are opportunities for you to grow and for our church to grow and for us to continue to make a difference so there's three things the first one that i want to mention briefly And you know what it is, because I've said it several times, is our children's wing. Last week, we couldn't do the bigger kids service there because we had a lot of our volunteers get sick. And we have a great, faithful group of people that serve and love our kids, and we're so grateful for them. But we can't keep asking the same people to continue to do more. And so I'm going to come to you humbly, church. I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider being a part of that. I I did a little research. And to successfully run our entire children's wing, it takes about 40 people on a Sunday morning. And not all those people are teaching a class. Some of those people are, are just interacting with the kids or helping to run a game or just there for, uh, to, to help greet and make kids feel welcome or to help them to know where to go and what to do. And, and so it's not all teaching. Some of it's tech, kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. But it takes 40 people to run that entire wing from birth all the way up to fifth grade and out of the 40 people needed this morning I looked at the schedule we only had 22 people running that entire children's wing god bless those 22 people but we're running at about half staff just at that and then you want to talk about having a children's ministry ser- uh, service for second hour which we want we want that but it's going to take us stepping up as a church and going okay let's not ask the same people to keep doing more it's time for people who are not engaged or who are not involved to go, okay, well, maybe you used to serve, and maybe after the pandemic, maybe you got out of the habit of serving. Let's just just real talk. Maybe you got out of the habit of serving, and and and, and maybe something funky happened, and you need to work through that, because maybe that helped kick you out of serving, you know, and you just kind of kind of got in the rhythm and just wanting to go to church. Maybe you're newer to BCC and and you come to church and you're still trying to feel it out and it's it's still new to you. And maybe you're trying to heal from some previous wounds or whatever. I, I don't know where you're at or what's going on. But if you're a part of this church family, I want you to know that our family has needs. If we want to invest in the next generation, there's a need there. And that's what it's going to take is people stepping up to the plate and saying yes. And it's going to take us moving beyond being a consumer and being a participant and engaging and being a part of what God has us do. So there's a second part. So we need people to serve in there. And when we remodeled this facility and when we built on this new addition, I mean, aren't you grateful just for the the addition and how beautiful it is and how well done it is? I can't tell you how, how excited that I was to be able to think about the opportunity that we have in this wonderful facility to be able to reach so many people with the truth of Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful for this facility. But part of the heart behind building all of this was to open up and make more space for our kids' wing because before COVID, we were having space issues with the kids and all that stuff. And our former sanctuary is now where Kids City meets. And we ran out of a lot of resources to be able to finish that kid's room. And so we never really touched it, but we left them. The adults moved into here and we never really did anything to that room, even though we were going to originally. And so, Pastor Taryn and I have been working, and we've come up with a plan that we're going to phase out different parts of Uh, redoing that kid's room to be able to make our former sanctuary a place that we can be proud of and a place that we're excited for our kids to go and worship and to grow and and serve and and learn all these things. She just started a, a leadership track for the older kids in there. So like fourth and fifth graders are like actually like learning like leadership stuff and she's like training them. And how cool is that? That we're raising up next generation leaders in there. Who knows? Maybe the next pastor of BCC could go through Pastor Terrence's leadership development program. I mean, you never know. You never know what God is doing. But at the same time, we want them to have a space that they can be excited to go to and proud of. And right now, it, it looks like we just abandoned our sanctuary, which we did. <laughs> and they've done their best to try to make it look exciting, and they've done their best to try to patch and piecemeal things together. But our kids deserve better than that. Amen? And so here's what we're going to do we're putting together this plan and we're gonna start working on it around the first of the year. And you're gonna start hearing about it more, and it's just gonna require maybe some of you who has some talents and some skills, maybe you can just roll a paintbrush. Maybe you can help us do a little bit of demo work. Maybe you've got some construction skills. We're gonna ask for all those things to help redo that room, because we've got a plan, and we're gonna do it the most cost-effective way, but we also wanna do it excellent and do it well, because our kids deserve that. And we're gonna overhaul that room. So we're gonna do that, and we're gonna talk about that more very shortly. That's the second thing I want you to just pray about, and I want you to just know that it's coming, all right? The third thing is that due to our remodeling all of that, um, the church, we've been in a good financial position, and I just want to say thank you for your generosity and contributing finances here to this church. Thank you for that. We've been able to do ministry uninhibited. Um, We've had to cut back in some areas just due to COVID and things like that and be more strategic, but we're, we're not in a place where we're sucking for air or struggling. And so thank you for your generosity for us to be able to do ministry well here. But with all this new construction that we did, the elders have been able to work with a new bank to be able to refinance the loan with better terms. And the elders are going to be talking to you about that and what that looks like in the next few weeks. So I just wanted to give you a heads up that those things are coming. So that way when you hear about it, you won't be like, what's happening? You know, the way that I like to lead is that I like to give people a good heads up. So that way you know that something's happening. You know what's going on so that we can be prayerful. We can be mindful. And we can just be transparent and just let you know where we're at, okay? So that's what I want to do. That's how I lead. And I wanted to preach this message to you about generosity today to get you to engage prayerfully what God would have you do, perhaps in one of those three areas, or maybe all three. I don't know. But I do know that it takes all of us, amen? It takes all of us. And this is fun. We get to do this. We get to be a part of this. This is not a bad thing. It's an opportunity. We've been through a lot, man, we've been through a lot. That's reality, that's just what's happened. We've been through a lot. But guess what? God has led us so far in our church's history to this point. And uh, I believe that our best days are ahead of us, not behind us, amen? And it's gonna take all of us just prayerfully, because whatever God wants you to do with that, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna try to tell you what to do. I just wanna let you know the needs that are there and let you know if you're part of this family, Pray about what your role is in that and say yes to those greater things. Because I believe when we say yes, we're gonna see God move like never before. We're gonna see our church step up to the challenge and we're going to not just say that we value certain things, but we're actually gonna live it out. So if generosity is our lifestyle, what does that look like for BCC and those who call BCC their church home? And what does it look like for you and your family? What does it look like in the context of your home, your marriage, your friendships? What does that look like? To live where we're taking care of one another's needs, aware of those needs, saying, God, how do you want me to say yes? What do you want me to say yes to? Because we value him. So I want us to just pray and ask God to do that. Then we're going to receive communion together. So Lord, help us to live out that generous lifestyle. Give us clarity and peace and courage to step out and say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you Get your communion elements out. Before we leave today, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper as we reflect on the generosity of God, where God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And that if we believe in him, we wouldn't perish, but we'd have everlasting life, and we're thankful for that. And we do this in remembrance of him. And so may this act of receiving communion today, may it stir our hearts towards generous living, so Lord, help us to receive this today, receive this bread, receive this juice today in a way that would honor you, glorify you, and solidify some things in our hearts as we reflect on your generous gift and how you gave so freely and how we get to experience an eternity with you. Let us continue to live life with a priority for others to have that same encounter with you as we receive this and remember that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you receive the elements together?